Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. He was recruited as the first corporate officer in charge of diversity and inclusion at Abercrombie & Fitch. He spent almost a decade there. He's now the Senior VP of Inclusion, Sustainability and Community at the globally iconic brand Carhartt. Todd Corley is an incredible leader. We chatted about DEI, diversity, equity and inclusion. This is a conversation we need to be having as leaders, as parents, as siblings, as friends. What we chat about today is truly powerful. I'm so excited for you to sit back and take it all in. And I hope that at the end of this episode, you have this compulsion, this desire to go out and talk about this and make a difference in your community, in your workplace. So sit back and enjoy the show. Todd, a massive welcome to the Lead on Purpose podcast. James, it's nice to see you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is all mine. Look, I'm so excited to chat about DEI and what that means for leaders, for the corporate space. And there will be some leaders listening right now going, yep, that's a big passion of ours. We're really focused on that. There will also be the leader listening right now going, what is that and how does that apply to me and my business? So let's start there. So what does DEI mean in the corporate arena? You know, it's a good question. So for me, DEI means uh, an understanding that people are just very different. And that's just a simple word. But it's important because if folks understand that folks are different, they're going to understand that people are going to be motivated differently, that consumers are going to have a different taste and preference of what they want. Uh, you're going to have to lead people differently. And that means maybe in the middle of chaos or in the middle of change, um, you've got to figure out who are you leading uh, because they have different lived experiences. It also means that, you know, you have to think about how nimble you can be to respond to the ever-changing demographic. So whether it be, you know, uh, whether it be the Southern Hemisphere, other places around the world, everybody has somebody that they've encountered that's not like them. And diversity, simply put, is understanding those differences and making sure that they can be included and that they have a, uh, a way of feeling like they are part of something. And if, honestly, James, if we kept it that simple, we wouldn't have the divisiveness around the topic or the word. We wouldn't see it as really that complicated at all. And we see the benefit in what it means for the day that we live right now and 10, 20, 30 years down the road. You know, our children rely on people understanding the differences. Um, our parents do or did, it, depending on your situation. And it's not really that sticky of a topic. I think it has become that. Mm, absolutely. And if we rewind the clock, so for the listener that's listening right now, you were recruited as the first 
corporate officer in charge of diversity and inclusion at Abercrombie. So uh, for those that are listening on what's Abercrombie, so in North America, it's an incredible apparel brand, world-renowned, certainly when in Ireland when I was a kid, it was a big deal. Um, so in your almost 10 years there, what were some of your greatest takeaways and some of your greatest moments where diversity, equity, and inclusion uh, really came to light? You know, that, that was, um, it was obviously uh, a career-changing experience for me. Um, many of your listeners may know uh, there's a Netflix film on the, the subject, um, you know, White Hot. And it, it's, it was about spending time in a brand that was somewhat challenging itself about, are you exclusive, are you inclusive or not? For me, what I learned, to answer your question directly, I learned that a generation of young people who began to show up there as employees at a really young age, 18, um, wanted something very different. And it challenged me as a, as a diversity leader to figure out how to help them look at that change. So just for context for the listeners, that I, was, I have to pause when I say this just for context. Facebook back then when I joined, this was 0405. Facebook was a year old. Twitter was still a year away from being a thing. So if you imagine this lane of people who are young, who, who came from and are part of a generation that's a lot more diverse than mine as, as, a, as an Xer, they were curious about who they were surrounded by. They were curious about who was in their friend circle. They were curious about the world around them. And as it was growing, they were finding places on the map that they didn't even know existed. And they wanted different answers about how do you include people? How do you become uh, connected to different perspectives? So what I learned from that time, and I, told any, I would tell anybody this, despite what people might think, it is a job that I would do all over again because I learned more about me, about how to lead, as we talked about, folks who were unsure of themselves, who didn't have the right word choices to use when they interacted with somebody, who were a bit uh, afraid of uh, saying the wrong thing. And James, honestly, can be my witness. That's those are things that we struggle with right now. So, mm-hmm. so point is that type of behavior and response to things is no different in any era or or, or decade that we live in. So, I walked out of there, um, you know, with the benefit of creating a lot of change. But honestly, the credit all goes to the younger people that were there, millennials, who uh, were a lot more direct and candid about the change that they wanted to see. And they weren't asking for permission. They were saying, this is what it has to be. But it was a tension that grew. And uh, it was a remarkable experience. So, so it is, uh, what I learned in that seat was, you can build things even in the midst of a lot of drama and pushback. You've got to figure out who your allies are, take stock in them, identify them, and help them lead the change that you want because you can't do it all by yourself. Mm, really powerful. And for the listener that's listening right now who has responsibility as a leader, as a manager, maybe as a business owner, how can they actually raise their awareness that, hey, the company that I'm leading is not very diverse. We do, we're not very inclusive. How, how can they start to think and see things from a higher perspective and go, whoa, there's ways in which we can improve here? You know, I, I think they have to, I, I think the word, the word I would use is people have to become vulnerable, right? They have to become comfortable with admitting what they don't know. They have to be inquisitive about wanting to know more about folks that they casually meet. And they have to to, uh, be lifelong learners. Um, 
you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to give a, a one answer for everybody, but I think if you are open-minded about your lived experience, who you are, how you grew up, and just give yourself like a minute, a chance, an opportunity to think what it's like for somebody who is not like you. Mm-hmm. Honestly, you could pick up a, you know, a newspaper in another state, get on the internet and look and say, what is it like to be him or her in that circumstance? What might it have been like for me if I were there? Would I make the same decisions that I make now? Would I be where I am? And you probably have a lot of answers to those questions. I certainly do. Uh, oftentimes I say no, or oftentimes I say, hmm, maybe easier or harder, depending on the person I'm putting in my shoes. So I think people have to force themselves to do that calculus. And, and you do a great job on your podcast, you know, talking to other leaders. I mean, I think leaders want to, by definition, lead in a way that's successful. That often means not putting your head in the sand and ignoring the things that are around you. I mean, if you just pick up the paper and see what's happening around the world, um, how people behave, how they, they don't behave. There's a lot of opportunity for us to get those situations to be uh, more positive. Uh, a better outcome, but it requires us to understand what that person has gone through to get there and and uh, make hard decisions. So I don't know if that's a straight line of an answer, but I would just offer people the chance to think about things differently than how they live their own lives and see how it could be different if they were someone else. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, there was, there was two things in recent times that happened to me. And um, so for the listener that's listening that doesn't know me, so I'm a white male from Ireland. And my partner's from South Africa and uh, grew up in a very different place than me. And uh, we were sitting on the couch talking about white privilege. And I was like, I don't think I've got that. And she's like, just listen to yourself. Like, look at your life. Look at what you've done and look where you've lived and who you've been surrounded by and the opportunities. Do you think you would have got those same opportunities had you been a different skin color from a different place? And I started to think and was like, Wow. I never even put myself in that position. That was a game-changing moment for me to think, I'm so fortunate, but I can't just sit here with this good fortune. I've got to actually do something mm-hmm. to level the playing field for the next generation, for other people who have incredible skills and talents that are not getting that opportunity because they don't have that privilege. And to me, that's a lifelong commitment. Like, yeah. In the position that I am, that I get to talk to amazing people like you, I've got such a responsibility to help give other people a platform uh, in a way that's thoughtful and intentional. And another, the second thing that happened in recent times, I spoke to an incredible North American leader who I hope that if you haven't met already, one day you will. Her name's Nabila Ixtabalan, and she's the now COO of Walmart Canada. She was the CPO of Walmart Canada, but recently just got promoted. And she's a 38-year-old woman uh, is, uh, of Muslim faith, uh, is an incredible leader, leads 100,000 employees. And we had an incredible discussion. And she was just saying, look, James, we've had these, these discussions at Walmart with our clients and with our employees. And we had one employee who had done a workshop with us around DEI and then went to a family barbecue within a week or so. And someone at the family barbecue was using language that was derogatory towards another race. Mm-hmm. And he felt the courage and the intentionality to go, this is not right. This is my family. And he spoke up about it, helped create a space for them to grow their awareness around these one-liners, these little jokes that are at the expense of other people. And I think there's such power. I had it happen recently where I was 
uh, here in New Zealand and uh, met with, with two individuals. One was a leader and they both started having these racial innuendos about another race. And I was like, guys, that's not right. Like, I can see that you're enjoying it and you're laughing, but like, let's think about the other person for a moment. So mm-hmm. my question to you, Todd, is when the listener that's listening right now is in a position where someone around them is making a, a racial um, joke or a joke about someone of a different gender or, or background, how can they have the courage? What are, what are the conversations they can have to, to redirect that conversation and grow the awareness of that individual to say, this isn't right, like stop this? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I always tell people, um, you use your, your voice and your authority, right? So, and I, I'll, I'll describe myself because you did it for the audience and you're right, if, they're not looking, if they don't see me. Black male, uh, pronouns are he and him. I would I tell people that if you're in that moment, if you're nearby, you can't be a bystander because when you are, you're, you're honestly, you're complicit. So think about word choice like, hey, you know, I, I overheard you share something about, you know, uh, immigrants. Um, I'm actually one myself. And, you know, what's interesting is, is I think if we uh, had more awareness about who was around us, we probably would use different choices of words. It can be that simple. And the person likely will be either caught off guard, um, will certainly be stuck in the moment, like, what do I do now with this person who's challenged me? And if that person is white, in, in the case, uh, uh, as you described, then they're going to probably say, hmm, I thought the space that, I was, ar- that was around me looked like me. I was comfortable saying it because I thought I'd be okay. And now I'm not. And now maybe I'll think about it again differently. I, I just think people cannot let moments go by. Honestly, you're, you're, that story is a powerful one because it is truly those small moments that add up to big issues. And what I've always told people in this work, as long as I've been in it, if you don't take opportunity and time to voice um, reason, alternate point of view, and educate folks, then you're not really doing this work. Even if you say, oh, well, you know, I support the initiative by, you know, uh, going to a recruiting event. Well, that's fine. But in a booth, recruiting people, if it's in person, is one thing. But behind the scenes, when you are responsible for altering behavior, is a completely different thing. Because leaders have to show up doing a couple of things. One, leaders have to show up understanding who the employee is. Leaders have to step, show up by understanding uh, what the environment needs, and they have to understand what the community wants. So, and, and those are just a few examples. So if you're doing that with a stakeholder, in this case, community, employee, then you have to realize that there is a requirement for you to lead in a way that you're going to hold yourself accountable like you want to hold other people accountable. And that requires courage. That's the perfect word. It, this isn't, this isn't a, a passive sport. It's about making change and making change stick. And if I've learned anything, it's not easy. But the long-term benefit of that is you'll get better outcomes, you'll get better people. And honestly, you may change someone else's life to do something very different than they would have had they not met you. So I always look at those interactions as not an accident, but a, a, but a, but a responsibility to, to steer someone in the, in the right direction. Mm-hmm. Really amazing. And Todd, if we look at your life and your experience, whether it's in the corporate arena or in life in general, 
What have you faced where you've been on the, the other end of it, where there, there's been a lack of inclusion and, and you've felt uh, the, the negative side of that? There's been anything that you'd be willing to share in your life? Yeah, I mean, we don't have a lot of time, but I'll give you, I'll give you uh, one at least. That's, that's probably more common for me. Wherever I've been, I've probably with with uh, great consistency, consistency, been the only or one of the few black men in, a, in an environment. Um, certainly at senior levels. So, so currently, I lead you know the global office um, at Carhartt, and. Um, senior most black executive there um but i was also the most senior black executive at a consulting firm in manhattan in new york right out of business school so i give you those two points in time saying far as far back as my most junior time and you know a senior role it's always been that thread so what i would say is and this is probably more this is certainly more on my early years because i've had uh increasingly increasing seniority so i've been able to challenge it a little differently the same thing is true though which is you always have to figure out how to validate yourself meaning someone will say oh i I didn't didn't know that you were the lead consultant on this project or oh you're you're so articulate for a black man or oh um oh you went to that school oh so those moments of pause have been with me for as long as I know. And my story's not any different than anybody that you might meet who looks like me. Point is, and sharing it is that you have to always figure out how to, again, turn that around, call it out, or, again, perfect example that we just pulled in uh, from your, your example, have people who are going to be allies for you, who look different than you, who can say something on your behalf. Because the burden is the burden is not on me always to educate you about why that was offensive. I have to live with it first of all, process it secondly, and third, I've got to shake it off and keep going. And I would say that that being the only has always been something that I've had to manage through, and uh, it's exhausting. It, quite honestly, it's just exhausting. So you know, I always encourage people to think about what is it like for that person to be them in this environment. What is it like for them to feel like that they are going to be heard, um, valued, understood, uh, given that, you know, great assignment at a job or a workplace or that promotion? Um, and that take another, another step, which is how do you tell the people who are hiring talent to do that when they hire? How are you telling people to do that when they are onboarding that talent, when they're growing that talent? Uh, when they're further developing them, and they, even maybe when they exit them. So if you think about that talent lifecycle, that ability to make sure that everybody feels like they are included has to happen at the hiring stage, the onboarding stage, the growing stage, the developing stage, and even the exit stage. And if you can make sure that you weave inclusive leadership throughout all of those uh, streams of the talent cycle, then your organization is probably doing okay because you probably can attract them and keep them. And that's what it's about. Really incredible. And for the person that feels like they are the other right now, they are the only right now, maybe they're the minority and they are experiencing what you just described a moment ago. And you said that it's exhausting, Um, but you shake it off. What advice do you have for them around how you have learned 
to keep moving forward and to shake it off? What what do you do that helps you keep moving? You know, I, I surround myself with people who um, remind me that I deserve to be here. You know, I surround myself by with people who uh, tell me and and assure me that um, you know that I did either the right thing or it was spot on, or even say to me, Todd, you know, on that one, you're wrong. So you should really think about that one differently. Okay. So it's humbling. So I surround myself with people who are going to be honest with me about how I might be reacting because I want to make sure, like, I don't want to fly off the handle. Like, did I get it wrong? Did I miss something? Because the stressor of having to go through it all the time or being on that side as another can sometimes, uh, make you react quickly, you know, sometimes too quick. Sometimes it's certainly warranted. Other times it's like, okay, well, let me, let me, let me back up. Let me see. There's something I do. No, no, this one I was right on. So I surround myself with people who are going to reassure me about, um, how I, it. and in cases where my response was warranted about, you know, uh, being, I don't either mishandled or quoted or short, shorted for, for an opportunity. See, if you need to think about being somewhere else, then you should be confident about that also, because you're good at what you do, you've earned what you have, and you don't need to apologize for that. So I think I, I always make sure that those conversations are ones that I'm having regularly. And that's a small circle, James. I mean, that's not a large, large, you know, poll of people. You know, I would suggest somebody finding, you know, three to five people that they can always rely on that might help them think those things through. because. You need that. You need a community, a village, if you will, um, small one, <laughs> but you need one that's going to be honest with you. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And for the company out there that doesn't embrace DEI into their DNA, what's the cost for that company? So are we talking about the cost for internal or external or both? Let's um, look at both. <laughs> so the internal cost is turnover. Uh, the internal cost is uh, loss of discretionary effort and energy. I mean, imagine the woman of color or, you know, the woman of Muslim faith, you know, with a hijab or, or whoever, feeling like they're not a part of the environment that they're in. They're not going to give you 150%. They're going to give you what they need to give from nine to five and probably looking on your dime for another job. You're going to lose um, the level of creativity that you need on a team. I mean, I've been, I've had the fortune of being in a lot of retail brands and I can tell you without a lot of different people around the table, either looking at a pair of denim or whatever it may be, or designing something, having one point of view, one lived experience, you cut yourself off from having the best new thing, the best new idea. So that's, that's some of the costs and I can give you a whole list, but, but certainly, you know, turnover discretionary energy, lack of creativity would be in the top three. On the outside, you lose market share, you, you, reputational damage, uh, bad press, which is probably a little bit of the same, the second one. Uh, you certainly lose you know, momentum to grow the brand. So I, I, I would say the cost, I've never understood this, the cost for these type of things to go wrong is so clear that I'm sometimes amazed that people are, are comfortable with their ignorance or, or their whatever ism they're holding on to, racism, sexism, you could fill in the blank, that they'll let it cloud 
their better judgment to do the right thing, to create an environment for internal people to not leave, be more creative, to give their 150%, stay the extra mile, that sort of thing. That, that, you know, their ignorance will get in the way of those things happening because they just want to hold on to, you know, their bad behavior. Um, unfortunately, though, it's still blinding to people. People still have it. Um, so I, I would tell you, any organization, if you're listening, even if you don't have a formal DNI strategy, get a focus on what it's like to have people who are different in your company or your brand. The smallest mom and pop shop to the largest one. And James, you can take this outside of corporate. I mean, certainly nonprofits have the same thing. Certainly, you know, um, you know, healthcare organizations have the same thing. The work around DEI is not a uh, a trending word, although some people create that kind of persona around it. It's not. It is. It is pure business play. It is meaningful work. It relies on us to be the best that we can be. And honestly, if you think about the question of what, you know, let's say a purpose-driven brand is, purpose-driven brands are brands who are trying to answer the question, why do, they, why do we exist? Who do we serve? And, you know, how we can be better for people? Well, that's the way of the world right now. And in, in that if you're trying to be the best that you can be, you got to be able to answer those questions. And if you can't even get past DEI 101, then you're not going to answer those other questions because you're going to be short on answering the question around people. How do you support them? You're probably going to be short on answering the question about how do you protect the environment. Probably going to also be short on the question of how do you uh, impact the community in which your business is doing business. So, um, you know, uh, you got to put the resources where the things need to be put, and this is certainly one of them, in my opinion. Mm, That's great. And here's an interesting situation. This has happened more than once. I'll go and work with a company and their executive level and their senior level of, of leadership. Uh, there's a large dominant white male presence uh, anywhere between kind of 40 and, and 60 years of age. And often I'll say, okay, let's chat a little bit about what's happening here at the leadership level. Let's chat about diversity. And often I'll hear this, you know, it would be great, but you know, right now we've just, these are the people that we need and they've got the skill sets. And, uh, you know, for us just to be thinking about diversity, we might not get, you know, we, we might get diversity, but we might not get the cognitive skills that we need. So right now we just got to stick with this, but I hear the, but, and I'm like, wow, there's the problem right there. Yeah. So for yeah. The, the leader that's listening and there will be a leader or maybe more listening going, Ooh, that's me. Look at my board. Look at my executive level. Wow. It lacks diversity in gender, ethnicity, everything. What what do they need to hear right now? How do they need to think? What questions should they be asking themselves? Well, I first I first of all say would say to that person, you should answer the question. One well, first question you should answer is, do I ever hire anybody that isn't um, smart enough, good enough to do the job? The answer to that question is no, because you don't. So I then say, then you should not use this as a qualifier for diversity because no one ever said hiring diversity meant hiring something, someone that could not do the job. It just had to be who they were, black or woman or whatever it is. So first of all, you have to dispel that myth. And then if they're smart enough, they say, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess I am qualifying it. Then you say to yourself, okay, so then where do you go to get other traits and skills that you don't have on your team? Maybe a team that's bilingual, maybe a team that has lived abroad, 
maybe a team that has, you know, um, I don't know, a different lived experience that brings a unique perspective that the customer might have or the new customer is having. And you say to yourself, okay, yeah, I want, I want all those things. Well, if your team is all white men, I'm going to assume that you probably don't have people that are going to check them in those boxes that we just talked about. So then you get them to, to say to themselves, oh, I, I guess I could benefit from having somebody, you know, who lived in Brazil and speaks another language and on my team and has a lived perspective. Okay, well, how do I find it? So then you do the hard work. But this is really hard. Yes, it is. And it's going to be harder for you because you're now showing up and you're late to the game. So I, I guess I would take them to that cycle of answering those questions, starting with one, dispelling the myth. No one ever said we're telling you to hire somebody who wasn't qualified. That never comes up. I never said that. That's not what this is about. If we check that box, we can go to the next step. Okay. So since I didn't say that, what I am saying is that, well, what do I want? I want people who are going to help grow my business. Well, could you benefit from, again, somebody who has a different lived experience, who sees the world differently, who has a different customer lens, who's, oh, yeah, well, hmm, my team that I have is assembled, and then where I always typically go to find them, they're not giving me any of that. So where do I go? I have to go over here and do that. So I think you have to just take them through their own journey. Here's the thing. What I've always seen work in this work is when it becomes the person's idea for the change. What I think I have been uh, really fortunate with is finding ways to take people through that decision tree so that they decide on their own that this is what they want to do. Because when they do that, then one, it's a better idea because it's theirs. And I have no problem letting that be the case. Two, it sticks more because they own it. Uh, and three, um, they can repeat it again and again and again and again because I haven't told them how to do it. They've understood that they need to get done. And they're going about it a way that they can uh, see it through repeatedly. So it's like it's a, it, DEI work is this whole thing around being an influencer, getting people to buy into the change accepting the change for what it is on their own terms because people move at this pace differently than others. So they've got to go through their own resistance, their own, you know, demons, their own mm, aha moments. And if I try to beat it over their head, I'm not going to be that successful because then it's compliance. I, yeah, I want you to comply. I'm doing air quotes as I say that to your listeners, but I want you to do it repeatedly. I want you to have the behavior over and over and over again where it's on automatic. So in three, five, 10 years on the road, the place naturally looks different. It feels different. The culture is better. People from different walks of life are participating. People in this, on the stage at, at a, let's say, town hall for a company, that stage looks different than the audience and the audience looks different than the stage. I mean, you want there to be a left foot, right foot sort of thing happen, but that doesn't happen if I force the issue. Now, I'll say this. I'm going to push the issue. Everybody who has hired me to do this job knows that Todd doesn't show up to just check boxes and do the nice thing. Todd shows up to change culture, change strategy, structure it in a way that there is infrastructure behind it. But to your listener who's listening, you have to invest in this work so that you're going to do this, but you also have to get there on your own so that you do it again. That's the success in this work. Um, mm -hmm. That's a long way to answer a, a short question, but, but I hope that helps the listener. Oh, it's magnificent, really magnificent. And I had a, a discussion uh, was with a, a large number of leaders a few weeks back, and we were talking about blind spots. And I said, look, when you look around you, and let's just take your suit jacket off, put your T-shirt on and your shorts, and go and hang out with your mates on the weekend. 
when you look around you and you see your friends and they look the same as you, they're the same age as you, they're the same skin color, the same gender, and they drive the same car and live in the same neighborhood, it's a major problem, a really major problem for you and for society. And to me, you cannot grow as a human, as a leader, when you surround yourself with the same people. Yeah. And the same people simply don't see your blind spots because they've got the same blind spots. And so when you look around you and you see people who are different gender and ethnicity and background, speak different languages, different ages, they're starting to see things that you don't see about yourself and therefore you get to grow. And so for you, Todd, when you're out of the, say, the, the boardroom or you're out, you're out of work, what do you do to really connect with people of different backgrounds? And you, do you really focus on making sure that you've got diversity around you to kind of check in on your blind spots? Yeah, that's a fair question. Um, you know, part of it, part, part of what I do to check my own self um, is, you know, I have a, a non-denominational church. I'm part of a community where there are people from all backgrounds. Uh, that's probably one. Two, uh, I read things from uh, all sides of the aisle, if you will. Some things that are not things that I, I want to read, but it forces me to hear somebody else's point of view or perspective. Uh, different author different ideology um, so that I can kind of, kind of listen to what, what, what's going on. I, I remind myself to, you know, spend uh, a good amount of time of, you know, finding even things on, uh, on Netflix that, you know, might not be entertaining to me, but it might be a different you know point of view. And, you know, honestly, I just, I just keep myself fully aware of, I can even do more of that. And, remind myself that your best advice is probably from somebody who gives you a different point of view. So back to the thing I shared earlier, three to five people who can you, you can surround yourself with. Uh, and those three to five people that I, that I shared earlier, um, they're, they're all different people, you know, rural, rural America. Um, so for listeners who are outside the U S that's like farm and ranch country, you know, in our, in our description, 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 um, people who may be city dwellers, uh, people who, who are same-sex parents, um, you know, people who have different, you know, religious backgrounds and, you know, not, not to ask for a parade of examples, but if people out there who are listening can visualize, you know, somebody who's talking to somebody who's Muslim or Jewish, and I'm not either one of those, or somebody who's talking to somebody who is gay or lesbian, or somebody who is, you know, from a farm country who gets up at night, you know, who, you know, or early in the morning and, and tends to cows or, I mean, those are the kind of things I'm trying to put myself in front of because it helps me. And, and honestly, James, I, I also put myself in those positions professionally. Uh, so, so I recently was appointed to, uh, in the U.S., the U.S. Department of Agriculture's uh, Equity Commission, uh, you know, by the current administration in the U.S., the Biden administration. And, you know, I'm sitting around folks who are farmers and ranchers, people who are, um, you know, uh, immigrants who are working, you know, tireless energy and hours, tribal community, so Native American community. So I'm forcing myself to be or finding myself in opportunities where I can be around people who think differently than I do. So I just try to find it and seek it out. Uh, I can certainly be better and do more of it, but I would say keeping it as a priority to always look and examine and knowing that I can't look at the same network every day, read the same paper all the time, never go outside of the, I don't know, four or five miles from my home 
um, that's that's dangerous because when you don't do that, then you have an echo chamber and you're never going to challenge yourself to be better or different. So uh, I try to make sure that I'm doing that consciously. And again, nowadays, it's as simple as just downloading an app from a different state, you know, joining, you know, volunteer efforts, which which I which I, I do and uh, need to do more. But, um, you know, find ways to be in front of different people who are not like me, honestly. Yeah, and right now, this moment with you and I are connecting, uh, you're different from me and vice versa. And um, I'm getting to get see your amazing perspective. And, and every listener right now is getting to hear uh, your perspective. So I think this is a great way for us to be uh, covering some of those blind spots that we've all got. Now, what do you feel is the next level of DEI work? So so I think the next level of DEI work, uh, and, I, and I have a, a really good opportunity in doing some of that now, is connecting DEI work to, you know, work around the environment, work around community impact. And I say that because DEI work to me is foundational work for a brand or for a company. I also think, and I'll call that social. I also think work around, you know, protecting the environment and community um, are also foundational things, work streams. So my current role uh, where I lead, uh, you know, inclusion, sustainability, community and charitable giving for Carhartt, you know, we, we are we are focused on how do you think about how those things are uh, meaningful work streams so that people who are considering your brand or your choice or choices that they make um, can see that uh, you're taking care of the earth, you're taking care of people, you're taking care of the next generation. So if you if you think about that, you think about the context of those things to me are 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 all one body of work that are trying to set up the next generation for something better, meaning better ways of treating people, better ways of how do we, you know, preserve the land that we have, better ways of impacting the community, better ways of giving resources. Um, so I think the next work of DEI, next level, is tying DEI work to all the foundational things that a company can stand for or should stand for. Because for many people, DEI is still compliance only. It's like, you know, just hire me two black people, you know, some veterans and um, X, Y, and Z. Next level DI work is saying that work around people is as important around the planet and community and giving uh, strategy. And they all need to be tied together so that a company can spend the same amount of resources, time, energy on all of those. And not just look at them as individual efforts to kind of check boxes. So Mm -hmm. long answer, short question. Next level stuff is tying it to uh, who a company is, what their purpose is. And I think that's purpose for it. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. It makes me think of a lot of schools as well. So throughout the years, um, I, I didn't attend a private school. I was a, a standard public school in Ireland, but been through a lot of private schools. And certainly some of my experience in those schools was that there's a lot of box ticking going on in terms of, yep, where we hired that person with that background. We give some scholarships away to those people. And if from the outside, it's very obvious, um, but from the inside, they feel like they're ticking boxes. So I hope that through discussions like this, it uh, helps leaders in those fields go, oh, this is not a box ticking compliance thing. This is a human thing. This, mm-hmm. this has an impact outside of our school, outside of our workplace. And how do you feel like generational diversity has influenced this work? I think the generational shift in values has been huge. I think. Um, honestly, it's the thing that makes me the most optimistic that I think there is a 
growing number of people who uh, generationally see this work as uh, a requirement and a requirement for their brand loyalty, a requirement for employment choices, uh, a requirement for you fill in the blank. And because they do, they're less forgiving of companies and brands who are not doing it. So it forces the issue to be had. Uh, it forces people to take account to it. And, uh, you know, in, in a way, um, it allows us to, to see better ways to do the work because, you know, technology has changed and they use technology. I say they, younger people tend to use technology better than those who are not familiar with it because they grew up on it. Mm-hmm. And I think they're using it to uh, share their voice, uh, highlight things, call things out. So I think the generational influence on this work has been, been amazing. And honestly, I think if we relied on us to get it right ourselves, uh, certainly in the U.S., we think about, you know, our, our leaders uh, who represent us in, 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 in uh, high levels of government. Uh, many of them come from, you know, the, a same, the same generation. And I think younger people are saying, well, how do we shift some of that thinking? Like, what can I do to be involved in that? Or companies uh, who are led by people who, you know, um, haven't lived the experiences that they've lived and say, well, how are you going to speak for me if you don't know what I, what I need or what I want? So I, I'm, I'm grateful that we have it. I just hope that we can um, weather through some of the, you know, uh, challenging moments that I think we have as a country, again, in the U.S. particularly. And uh, we have people who are going to keep pushing on that. So mm-hmm. I'm optimistic. Uh, it certainly has encouraged me and has made my life easier and better. And I, and I wouldn't be where I am without having uh, the moments of tension that I've had with them to create change in places that, again, uh, you know, like A&F or uh, even now um, and some of the things I'm involved in. So uh, I'm encouraged by it. It's brilliant. And it's so interesting. Uh, I was interviewing an amazing female leader about a month or so ago. And she said, James, I'm looking at TikTok a lot. She's probably similar age to me. So uh, <laughs> and I laughed. I was like, really? She's mid to late, mid to late 30s. And uh, she's like, yeah. I was like, why, why do you watch TikTok? Like, I just don't get it. And she went, honestly, uh, I'm learning so much about diversity, yeah. so much about things I need to be focused on. She said, it's an incredible learning tool and the algorithm now knows what I'm about. And so I'm getting mm-hmm. all of these amazing, you know, young people coming up with these incredible thought processes that I'm not even yeah. engaging. And so uh, you're right. These, the generational influence is huge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, I, I sit, uh, you know, on weekends and, and my wife admits <laughs> she's going to hear this podcast, so she'll get upset. But, but we actually bought her a t-shirt that says, you know, I'm a TikTok mom. So, I mean, she watches it all, all the time. So I sit there and I look at it and at first I was like, why is she doing this? But to your point, the guest you just mentioned, it's informative. Um, you hear things you haven't heard, you see things you haven't seen. It reminds you of how people are communicating. And honestly, it, it should inform you, you know, back to, you know, what we've been talking about largely leaders. It informs leader of how to even uh, break through to somebody because you might think about how to talk this way or show it that way or use this or describe it like that. And if that's the form, that's the form. Um, so I think you have to be, you know, really become one with technology and embrace it and uh, not be afraid to, to learn from it. So uh, I, I completely agree with that point of view. It's an informative tool. It really, really is. 
Yeah, it's fun too. Uh, now, we talked a little bit earlier about purpose-driven. So for the person out there that's going, you know, I want to be a part of a purpose-driven culture or I want to create a purpose-driven culture, what does that look like and where does a person start? I think it starts with auditing what you're currently doing as a company. I think um, that's auditing saying, do we make every decision with key things in mind? Meaning, are we uh, holding ourselves accountable to good behavior? Um, are we, let's say, uh, making final decisions with uh, that moral compass that we've all bought into, whatever that company's moral compass is? And are we uh, reimagining ourselves to be better than we think that we are? And if you do those things, then you can ask the questions of, well, why do we exist as a company? Who are we trying to serve? What do we want to make better? Because those are the questions of a purpose-driven company. Like, I want to serve this community. I want to serve hardworking people. Or I want to serve, you fill in the blank. Um, I want to be better for the environment. I want to be better for you know, people who are, I don't know, essential workers. And it's a constant game of, always asking yourself that question or those series of questions because it's not about just, well, did we sell more jackets this year or did we sell more boots? You, your, your brand exists for a reason if you're purpose-driven. And your history isn't just history that's on the shelf because you, you know, recited it so many times. It is, it, your, your brand's history is that for a reason to be pulled forward because you must still believe that. Now, somewhere along the way, companies, they've lost their way. They've lost the reason why they exist because now it's about profit and loss and not about, you know, giving back to the community or, you know, closing the gap or providing, you know, quality product that can be passed down to generations. I mean, if you're not asking yourself that question all the time, again, why do you exist? What do you serve? What do you want to make better? Then you're not really in the purpose-driven business. You're probably in the business for business. And that's fine if that's what you want to do, but you can't claim purpose. So I think companies have to decide what they want. And to the point that we just raised about generational issues, I think younger people, the new generation is going to begin to ask more about what is your purpose? Why am I doing this? Why do I decide to work with you? Why am I deciding to give you my, my, my discretionary energy, which is that 150%? Why am I trying? And then all the whys. And if your why is like, well, because um, we sell the most sneakers. And so, I mean, I, I would say that if you're going to build it, one, start with asking this is the question. Start with asking, audit, auditing yourself about what you currently do, what you currently believe. Then start to ask this, the questions of, you know, who, who, why are we doing this? Why are we trying to be, how can we be better? And who are we serving? Then you just kind of got to go through that motion. And if you can't answer those questions consistently, again, then, then accept the fact that you're just a business. Again, you have to decide whether or not that's going to be lasting strategy. Cause I would tell you it's probably not mm -hmm. because I think people are going to be getting to ask or, or have been asking. Certainly COVID exposes, right? When you could work from home for those, some people, not everybody for, for, for many could work from home, um, still contribute. And they were wondering about whether or not they were going to live or die because of the illnesses or, or the, 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 the pandemic. They were asking different questions. They wanted different answers. So if you can't answer those questions for people, they're going to work somewhere else so, or work for themselves. So 
if you want to be purpose driven, you can have the best talent, but you have to be able to answer those questions. So start inside, examine yourself, answer key questions, and keep asking those questions repeatedly is what I would say. Epic. And it's interesting. I hear the word belief coming up and we've all got beliefs, global beliefs about everything, love, relationships, money, um, all these things. So we've also got beliefs about business and a leader who's leading a company has a belief around what business is there for. And I was chatting with a leader maybe two or three years ago and I says, what do you believe about business? And that's usually if I'm working with a client and I'm trying to get to them, I'll always ask them about their beliefs and say, what do you believe about business? And their response was phenomenal. They said, look, very simply, I believe business exists to serve society. I was like, yes, this is, this is excellent. Because <laughs> yeah. usually it's like exists to drive a profit. Businesses, you know, are profitable machines. And yes, that's part of a sustainable business, but it exists to serve society. So what do you believe about business, Todd? I mean, I certainly would, would I, I would certainly uh, echo the serve society piece, but I think business exists to Build a better tomorrow. I mean, build a better world. I mean, I think businesses exist to do things where people can uh, see that the future is brighter than it is um, because they are putting people first. They're putting the environment first. They're putting community first. I mean, they're, they're prioritizing things that are going to be things that we inherit later on. and. I think businesses have an obligation to figure out how to do that because they require and rely on people to help them more, certainly generate profit, be healthy, all those things, meet, meet goals. But businesses have a place certainly now more than ever, I think, to influence the good that we want to see. Um, because they're in business to one, you know, make money, of course, but they're in business to do that, to make sure that people who are helping them do that are fulfilled. And fulfillment, I read this somewhere, I think it was a Deloitte study, you know, consumers are saying they want, you know, companies who are, and I'll give you the exact language. They said, I want a company um, that treats its employees the best it can. I think 28% responded to that in that survey. This is a survey that covered US, UK, Brazil, China. 20% of them said, I want a company that treats the environment well and leaves it better for tomorrow. And 19% said, I want a company that supports the communities in which they do business and how where they operate. Well, there's your answer. So if companies, if, if people are making choices for, with companies with those criteria, that's, that's more than 50% of the people, then we'll start, who will respond to that survey. They're, they're, they're asking us, they're telling companies that if you're going to be around and be relevant for me, you got to check these boxes. Unfortunately, uh, I think some people still hold on to the fact that it's about profit and loss only, and I think that's I think that's short sighted. Um, so I think you know, companies you know exist to build a better world, to, to better a brighter tomorrow, and they have a lot more influence in doing that um, than most organizations do because. We use those products and services. They're in our homes. We consume them. We buy them. We wear them. So they have power. And I, I just encourage those companies to use that voice the right way. 
and not not squander it, not lose it, and not let it uh, go untapped. Mm, lovely. I mean, I, I love what you're saying there, and I think uh, I think about Carhartt. So, for those who who don't know the brand Carhartt, it's a globally iconic brand. Certainly, growing up in in Northern Ireland, a lot of friends uh, wore Carhartt. It's, it's an amazing brand. So. You're currently there doing incredible work. When you step away, whenever that day comes, and you look back and you go, yeah, that was exactly what I wanted to uh, leave, and that's exactly what I wanted to create, what is that? What's your end outcome that you would be delighted to have achieved when you do step away? You know, it's, it's interesting. That is a question that I, that I asked myself before I stepped in. Um, because you always have to think about like what's what it, what if you do, what this step is going to mean for the next step. If if when when that time comes, if I'm able to say, and I benefit from Carhartt's reach and that, and you, and you described it well, but you know it is a brand worn across a wide swath of, of socioeconomic background, right? It's something there for everybody: um, the environmentalist, the, the rancher, the farmer, the essential worker. You know, uh, items are passed down for generations. If, if I can create a, a narrative where inclusion and equity, where environmental stewardship, where community impact, charitable giving are something that that broad socioeconomic customer can relate to because they see themselves in it, being the rancher, the farmer, the kid on the college campus, the environmentalist, you know, the person in the inner city, whoever's wearing it, if, 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 those, if that broad range of socioeconomic diversity, to use that scripture, finds an answer in our strategy around inclusion and equity and environment and sustainability and climate and, and, and community and impact, then I'd be, I'll, be, I'll be thrilled. Because what it will show me is, what will show, I think, or hopefully prove, is we don't have to worry about, you know, what side of the tracks we grew up on. Or if I grew up in the city or if I grew up on a farm. Or if I'm college educated or not, or if I, you know, speak more than one language, or if I don't, or if I'm, and you can fill in the blanks. The brand is so uniquely positioned that that you know all of those socioeconomic discussions, where the brand because it just you know it lasts so long and it serves many needs. If I can get all of those variety of people from what we call our tried and our true to our next gen doer interactive outdoor enthusiasts to see that that discussion doesn't isolate them but rather brings them together damn that would be the most amazing impactful thing that i could ever imagine because it would be indicative of the fact that and you and i talked about this you know before the show that we all want the same things Mm. we all want some degree of safety we all want some degree of good health we all want some degree of security since we aren't disagreeing on safety, security, and health and well-being, then we're not really that different. So if you can get this work right across that thread of different backgrounds and life experiences, then this discussion around, and this almost goes back to your first question to me, James, which is the word DNI, DEI, is a simply defined word, which is how do we get people who are different to understand that their differences matter? and treat everybody in a way that we have respect and dignity. All the commotion, all the argument in between, we're making that stuff happen because, you know, we're, we're just trying to be, you know, agitating or divisive. 
we don't have to do that because we're all bound by the same thing anyway. So um, short answer is if, if I can leave the work, you know, in a place where, you know, that cross-section of community, you know, uh, feels that they are part of the same discussion and they don't see an other in that narrative, then I'll be fulfilled. Um, because it would have tapped into that social economic thing, which I think is that, that other part of DEI that is a underpinning of the differences and the tension that we have. B- because we say that if somebody gets something else or gets another shot, then I've got to give up something. I didn't say that. I never said you had to give up anything. I, I did say that we have to make sure that everybody can get something, uh, which means we have to remove barriers. So that described that, that example you gave of, you know, sitting next to the South African you know partner of yours and saying, well, you know, hey, listen, yeah, white privilege. I guess I do have it. Let me recognize it. Let me not, you know, live in it. Let me solve for it so that we can also make sure that everybody has um, the same type of opportunity to move forward. So it's a longer answer than you probably want, but but I, I do get excited about that proposition because it's a unique world and a unique opportunity uh, to connect all the foundational things together. That was so compelling, so inspiring, and I, I could just feel your energy, and I'm sure the listener could too. What you said, I hope that your staff, your team, the people, the people you, I hope that they get to hear what you just said, and they get to hear it often, and they get reminded around what your compelling vision is for Carhartt, because if that vision you have for Carhartt could be embraced by every company, every school, every church, globally. We would have a very, very different world. And I believe mm-hmm. that work is very possible. It's possible to achieve that. And people might say it's impossible, but it's only impossible until it's actually achieved. And people like you are just so incredibly crucial to making this happen. So I want to honor the work that you do. And it's just, it's incredible work. There was two things I wanted to ask you before we wrapped up. And you mentioned the word other a few times. And this is uh, an a word I've actually chatted about with my partner as well around othering people or if they've been othered. So for people that are listening right now, can you, can you, in your, your terms, describe what you believe othering someone is, or if they've been othered, what that means? Yeah. So, so, so what it means, my, my, as I describe it and talk about it is that you, that, that you are um, putting somebody in a category that is less than yours. Because it, it it describes somebody who is not like you, and probably doesn't deserve or or uh, probably invite the same type of obviously resources or support um, because they're just not like me. I mean, they got other things going on. You know, they they are they are uh, different than me. Um, and that's not an empowering conversation, right? It it is a way of uh, my my opinion. You know, belittling the differences that we have, rather than saying, you know, uh, that person has a different lived experience than I do. How can we figure out how to, you know, be connected and, and meet in the middle or understand each other's point of view? Othering is 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 simply it's a way of dismissing uh, people who have, you know, uh, different worldviews, uh, different different uh, challenging uh, uh, different challenges, and not. Uh, supporting them for for what they bring to the table. So, you know, I, it, it's a word that's probably emerged in the last few years, but I think it's just a way for people to describe the broad diversity that that is out there, 
and categorize them in a way that, you know, we don't see them for themselves because we can't even name it. We just say it's other. And it's so interesting, Todd, that this literally happens at the dinner table. This doesn't need to be happening at boardrooms. This is happening at a familial level. And I guess the change actually starts to happen in families and people having discussions around what othering means and them and us and pronouns and having those powerful Mm -hmm. discussions. And uh, obviously in the last week, there's been some really disturbing things happen and we've all seen it globally. Um, And that's, to me, the biggest opportunity here is that we've got to lead from from within and lead within our families and have discussions and courageous discussions with our kids and our nephews and nieces so that we we start to diminish these these terrible things that we see happening on the news and the work that you do is it it really hits me man deep it's it's the most important work so thank you and i'd like to ask you one last question before we wrap up yep if we were to fast forward many many years and you're on your last last day here on earth and you knew it was your last day mm-hmm. and a young person that you loved very much asked you a question that said hey todd how can i go through my life and lead it with purpose what would your answer to that question be my answer would be uh listen to people around you don't prejudge and ask yourself what you can do to serve them. And I'll leave you, I'll leave the listeners with this because I, I, I went to um, uh, colleges in, in the U.S. that, that uh, you know, part of the Jesuit tradition and the, the term care personalis, which is care for the whole person. I would say, how do you care for the whole person? How do you listen to people Ask how you can serve them and care for them. Because if we keep repeating that behavior, you said this in other ways, then we're going to be better tomorrow. Because we're thinking about the whole individual, the whole person, not part of them, not that part over there. They're not an other. Because I want to care for that individual. So I would say, you know, my last day, listen, be open, ask what you can do to serve so that you can walk that walk alongside them and again, make it better for anybody who comes after that. That's what I would say. Incredible. Hope that day doesn't come too soon, but. <laughs> I was many, many years into the future. <laughs> you did say that. So I'm going to say 80 years from now. <laughs> yes, definitely. Now, Todd, that's uh, simply amazing. I want to say a massive thank you. And I know that the listener listening right now it feels differently about their world around them after just taking in what you've said. So absolutely amazing work. Please keep it up. And I look forward to reconnecting with you soon in the future. Wonderful. James, thank you again for having me. It's been an honor. I've enjoyed listening to your show and your guests. So hopefully uh, this fits in, in that, that rhythm. Thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks and leaders, it's that time to get out there 
and will lead your life on purpose.